This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, your hosts, Drew Dawkin and Grant Collins, will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today is July 22nd. It's Wednesday. Market was pretty flat today. Dow was up 150 points. End of the day at 27,005. S&P was up 18.72 points. NASDAQ has definitely been the leading indicator uh, throughout this year, really. But it's been up 25.75 points. And we saw treasuries remain pretty flat at the end of the day, slightly down at 0.99%. Uh, some of the big news we saw was that Microsoft announced that its revenue had grown at 13% despite the coronavirus. We saw Tesla posted fourth quarter of profits, and um, and those were kind of some of the big the big news uh, items. I mean, Congress is kind of looking at continuing unemployment, but at $100 a week um, as opposed to their $600. Uh, Grant, anything else? A uh, couple other a couple other movers here. We saw shares of Snap, the the software company from Snapchat. They dropped more than six percent after uh, the social media company reported fewer than expected daily users and the trains going by. So apologize <laughs> for that since we're back in the studio. Uh, and and one thing to be expected, but uh, United Airlines dropped by a little over four percent after the company reported. A net loss of 1.6 billion for the second quarter. I do think it's interesting to to hear about Microsoft, especially they. It seems like their Skype purchase was a, was a great purchase a couple of years ago. As now everything's moving to virtual meetings, and if you're going to bet on a software company, I would definitely bet on Microsoft. Uh, lastly, one last point for uh, Tesla. We we did talk about it now that they did post their fourth quarter of a profit to see if they are now officially going to move into the S and P five hundred. So that's something that we'll have to look for in the coming weeks. Yeah, we should also note that the weekly jobless claims rose by uh, more than a million, and that was for the seventeenth straight week. Initial jobless claims, you know, come in at one point three million for the week that ended July eleventh. Um, you know, this is what the Labor Department said last Thursday. Uh, Dow Jones economists had expected 1.25 million. So, um, I mean, what you're seeing is, of course, increases in COVID in the Sun Belt area, Arizona, Texas, Florida. A lot of states are going to mandatory mass or are slowing down some of their reopenings. Uh, And with that, you know, you've seen jobless claims uh, continue to rise. And then, you know, where unemployment's kind of hasn't hasn't dropped as it as it has you know within the last month or so and it's the 17th straight week when we see initial claims total at least 1 million which is uh, still significant initial claims has risen by more than 51 million since late march which is a staggering number uh and without an absent vaccine i think that with physical distancing and decreased demand we're gonna. It's gonna prevent a full recovery. So some of the furloughs may become permanent layoffs, which will also increase the number. We also saw that the the six hundred dollar bonus is running out. So if there's no stimulus, that that could really impact even more joblessness claims. Uh, and <clears throat> further, we're seeing unemployment numbers 
come out from some of the hardest hit Corona outbreak states. So Texas, Florida, California, Arizona, those are the states that are posting some of the the highest numbers. Uh, Further, we're seeing airlines, United and American warning employees that there may be more uh, more massive job cuts. So uh, it's continuing to watch. I think this is a big indicator we'll continue to look out for. Right. It seems like if the market's priced anything in and it's massive rebound since March, it's a development of a vaccine. We do have some more optimistic news on that front. There's been 100 prominent scientists, 15 of them being Nobel laureates. They're calling for healthy volunteers to be exposed to coronavirus. What we have to mention is that human clinical trials are usually much more effective than just typical efficacy trials. And they usually yield results months prior to have we weren't using humans as uh, as guinea pigs functionally. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I mean, they're going to be closely monitored, younger population, no pre-existing conditions. And um, yeah, I mean, so developments kind of going ahead on that front. It's interesting to see, especially it's the director coming out of the University of Oxford. So someone who clearly has a lot more experience and a couple more degrees behind his name than than either of us two. But the the big piece here is is that the human challenge trials can provide uh, significant more information at a, such a faster rate. And so we've seen that some of the the top doctors come out and say this. We've seen some funding come out from the. U.S. government to a couple companies. Uh, so there is a race for a vaccine. Uh, w- w- we did see that the uh, World Health Organization does have very strict guidelines of these. So there is, uh, as you said, healthy individuals, completely volunteer basis. Uh, along with this petition that was signed, there, there were hundreds of, of candidates who had already said that they would uh, they would sign up for this. And there are some uh, of these challenge trials already going on across the world today. And we should also note that the United States government has definitely pumped money into companies like Pfizer, too, for the development. So there's been the stimulative efforts to you know, have big pharma, you know, give them the resources they need as they work on creating a vaccine. I mean, I guess the other thing is, you know, we mentioned, I mean, vaccine has definitely been priced in. But the other thing is, we must be people must be kind of betting on the economy seeing above trend line growth. Um, you know, you had, you know, the Fed, Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan definitely indicated that, you know, 20 uh, in 2021, we're going to see above trend growth um, and, and we're going to continue grinding on the unemployment. So I think people have had the ability to overlook some of the near term pain uh, when they're looking at both vaccines, but then also future earnings, uh, corp- future corporate earnings? Well, it really depends on what indicator you're looking at, right? Because if you're looking at unemployment, then uh, th- that's one aspect of it. If you're looking at GDP, that's something we can talk about later as well. Uh, but the the big thing is he said, he said the important thing for the economy right now is wearing a protective face covering. And we're seeing some states require it, some states not. We're seeing President Trump refusing to wear one. Uh, in, until I think we have a, a federal mandate for it, we're, we're going to continue to see uh, cases spike, which is also going to really impact the U.S. economy. I think he's a little bit uh, aggressive. I think that we'll have a pretty flat 2021 uh, would be would be my guess. I don't, I don't see an above trend growth with the way we're headed right now. 
Yeah, although on the, the presidential front, I will, uh, I guess I'll mention that he was referring as wearing a mask as a patriotic thing to do uh, earlier this week. So there has been some kind of verbal shift in the White House uh, that hasn't existed for, you know, for a while. And then, yeah, you've seen a lot of states implement uh, mask requirements, Montana included, but I think you're well over half the country now, at least in terms of states, has implemented uh, new mask requirements. So the policy has gotten more stringent for sure. Yeah, and, and, and as we've seen with companies as well, just in terms of their growth, we've seen dividends cut throughout. We saw uh, Wells Fargo, a big one, but also 63 companies in the S&P 500 reduce or suspend dividends. There's a lot of uh, long-term investors who hold these blue chip stocks who have been uh, looking for dividends to help their retirement income strategy. Uh, where do we think dividends are going to go, Drew? How is this going to impact retirement income planning? Well, you're not going to see much of an effect on dividends for the next six months until a lot of the you know, payo policies become in effect. But then across the board, you've got something like 773 publicly traded companies. Uh, Wells Fargo was another one who you know, who are now suspending or at least reducing dividends. Um, and then you've also seen bond yields at abysmal rates. You know, you just mentioned, you know, 0.599% on the 10-year treasury. So people are going to have to take a holistic approach. They're going to have to draw down on their portfolios as opposed to looking at different asset classes as this is my income generating um, assets and this is my, you know, accumulation. I think you're just going to have to look at interest and yield is kind of as a holistic thing and then say, hey, look, I'm, I'm looking for growth and I can draw that down and take it out as income. And the fixed income bond laddering strategies with yield so low doesn't really look like it's uh, it's doable right now, especially if there was a heavy focus on income yields. Further, the, the average yield on dividends was about 2% per year uh, over the last decade. So that's, that's pretty significant just if people are looking towards those blue chip stocks. Uh, you, you could see people start replacing these high dividend paying stocks with more fundamentally sound blue chip stocks that are going to continue to pay out dividends right now. Be, uh, we have seen some of the banks, Morgan Stanley being one of them, come out and say that we're going to continue to pay a dividend because that's our duty to our shareholders. And that's really signaling. Uh, so there, there, there will be some of these dividend high, high fundamental valuable companies that will be unlikely to cut dividends. Um, and then another alternative strategy is bond laddering. And we should mention that reducing dividends, yes, it's been exacerbated by the COVID crisis, but this is also a long-term trend. If you were to go on a site like Multiple and look at dividend payout ratios, you'll see they declined a lot over the last you know handful of years as companies have increasingly looked more towards stock buybacks as opposed to, you know, paying out dividends. So, yeah, this is happening, but it is part of something that's been occurring for for many years now. So, um, nothing new, just it's just definitely been more apparent. Right, and that's a good point. And then if we do think about some of, if we take a more of a macro look at the economy and, and think about what economists are looking at to get a gauge of really just the U.S. economy right now. I think a couple of the big ones, the big three that people are looking at are uh, GDP, 
and then unemployment. These are key lagging indicators. So what I mean by lagging is we're looking uh, backwards, not forwards on where the U.S. economy has been. Uh, And then another interesting one that people have been uh, looking at is retail food because uh, hospitality and retail sectors were hit the hardest during the coronavirus to see if those start to uptake that may signal that we are in turn in in a, in a recovery um, where do we see GDP going in the next year Andrew? well um, the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta's GDP now model is estimated that the second quarter of real GDP will end up being down by an annualized 35.5 percent uh, so that's you know, not, not that seven times worse than the first quarter, but we got to remember the first quarter only had a very small fraction of it was inundated with with the COVID uh, virus and the layoffs. And then, you know, the entirety of the second quarter, that's been the experience. But what we're really referencing, and this is I'll put the link, but it's really interesting research by 538. Uh, they, you know, they conducted, you know, a survey in partnership with the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. They asked, you know, about 31 economists what they were looking at. Yes, 81% said they're looking at GDP closely. 71% they're looking at unemployment rate closely. You mentioned food and retail sales. Uh, 61% said they're looking at that very closely. What I was more, um, I guess, surprised about was consumer confidence in the savings rate. Now, only 29% of People said they were looking at consumer confidence very closely. But what we have to keep in mind is that these things have created uh, long-term effects. So, I mean, especially when you're looking at the younger segments of the population, millennials, this is their second recession in 11 years. So the first one is still very, you know, part of mind. They were either in college or just getting out of college. And now they're still in younger working years. You know, they're hit with a second recession. Um, But now, you know, Generation Z, the first one in 08 might not be top of the mind for them, but now they get the same experience. So you have you know, a couple decades worth of the population that's going to be, um, I don't know, increasingly conservative with how they look at spending, but also how they look at investing. And I think consumer confidence is going to be a longer term. It's really a longer term psychological look than maybe it has been pre-08, right? So- I, I do think it's interesting that that wasn't as much of a factor for them when they were analyzing how we should evaluate the recovery because the people are conservative for several years. And if they're worried at several years, you're going to be, you know, you're just going to be kind of slugging along. And I think if you look at consumer spending, that's going to look at the, the overall market, not just the retail and food sector that that was indicated in the article. I do agree that the saving rates is definitely something that I will increase. And as you said, is there going to be money that's going to be entering the market or just be sitting on the sidelines? And how does that impact people moving forward, especially as they they begin to build their nest egg? The article also did point out that job postings have been steadily increasing based on Indeed.com since May 1st, but they're still down 23% below their level from, from a year ago. So that's really important to see because we we could see the unemployment rate continue to drop. Um, so one thing to be on the lookout for. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and Wall Street's got some lessons for us too. Um, you know, a lot of the big banks are definitely holding enough cash to cover, you know, two or three years worth of outings. Um, and, you know, we've seen commercial banks, which will inevitably bear, you know, 
the heaviest toll because of this crisis that really hasn't occurred yet. Um, you know, due part to stimulus checks and unemployment benefits and uh, a lot of the stimulative measures that had been pushed by both Congress and the Fed. So, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to see what happens to commercial banks. But but right now, um, right now, they seem to be doing all right. Well, it's the it, it, it's a tale of two different stories, right? Because if you're looking at the trading aspect of some of these larger banks who have the investment banking side of, of it, they are having all-time trading revenues. So trading revenues based on the second quarter were up 70% uh, to all-time highs of just below $27 billion in revenue and trading. But then on the flip side, you have the loan provisions that need to be allocated for, for, for losses when people go bankrupt and are in default on their loans. So they're, they're putting away money, which is really affecting the, the profitability of these banks. So the, the fate of them really is, is going to be twofold. Does the trading of derivatives and, uh, in the investment banking business continue to float the loan provisions and, as we see the the stimulus begin to run out here, I, I think you're going to continue to see some of the uh, the loan provisions increase, and then also as volatility begins to decrease in the marketplace, that the investment banking revenues are actually going to to decrease. And and one thing to note is if you do look at what Wells Fargo had for the second quarter, they were the only large U.S. bank that actually had a second quarter loss. And one of the big reasons for that is Wells Fargo doesn't have the investment banking presence that J.P. Morgan or Citigroup has. And therefore, since they're more of a consumer bank that have a larger loan provision, they actually uh, had a loss. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here in the third quarter to see if investment banking revenues flatten. Well, you're really also just looking, you're waiting on defaults on a large scale. And so far, banks have been willing to defer mortgage and credit card payments, but there's going to be a point in time where uh, they can't and they won't be. So that's going to be something to look out for as well. Um, we've seen China has reported you know, 3.2% GDP growth in the second quarter of this year compared to a year ago. That beat analyst expectations. Uh, I mean, China, of course, was ground zero for this whole thing, but now they've... Um, you know, they're months ahead of a lot of other people in terms of recovery and openings and everything else. So... Uh, that's just where they are. Um, they've able to, you know, put up some, um, some, some good numbers. Their first quarter GDP contracted six point eight percent in twenty twenty from the year before. Um, you know, and that was the worst decline since nineteen ninety two. But it appears that there there is good metrics coming out of China, and they they appear to be in a rebound. And we could see we're seeing some analysts say the recovery could be their GDP be 5% in the next two quarter, definitely foreseeable. Last year, their GDP growth was 6.1%. So if they can get 5% the last two quarters, that will be uh, significant. It is going to be interesting to see what continues to happen between the tensions between the U.S. and China. We saw the, the Houston consulate are now being demanded to uh, return home in Beijing, said they're going to retaliate. We have the, the continued aspect of Hong Kong, which I think will impact how uh, Western companies are trading with China. Uh, so o- overall, I, I, I do think that China's GDP is, is going to continue to increase. But as other economies begin to become in a recovery and companies begin to look at supply chains, we could actually see that 
companies move out of China and try and diversify their supply chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we still see a decline in retail sales, but I mean, overall, there's been some benefactors, especially when you're looking at companies like Alibaba. I mean, Alibaba shares are up 14% this year. And, uh, you know, and that's just a big part of the narrative. Uh, you know, China's middle class is kind of on a more stable footing. And, you know, big Chinese tech companies are going to be the benefactor. Well, and if you compare it to its American counterpart, the America, then Alibaba looks really cheap because they're trading at 26 times forward earnings versus Amazon's 120. And if you think about Alibaba, that has the e-commerce, but then also the cloud platform, the food and grocery delivery, they're, they're really diversified in one of the largest growing economies in the world. Yeah. And, and I guess if we take this to kind of a broad spectrum, let, let's look, you know, on a macro, macro period, what the world is going to look like. And uh, The Lancet, which is a peer-reviewed medical journal, um, published, showed some, you know, startling, startling facts that's really going to change long-term trajectory of countries as they get older. Uh, in fact, 183 countries out of the 195 countries, you know, that are on planet Earth are not going to be able to maintain current populations by the end of the century. Um, but you're going to see a huge contrast. I mean, the population of sub-Saharan Africa is anticipated to triple over the course of the century, uh, going to 3.07 billion people in 2100, uh, which is you know up from what they were at 1.03 billion in 2017. So you see Africa, the Middle East explode, um, and then some parts of Southeast Asia growing, but not not nearly as fast. And then um, and then you see you know Europe and and the the North America in in a population decline as well. And the analysis is really looking at the improvement in modern contraceptions and also the education of, of women, um, which they may say uh, may decline in, in global fertility. Uh, that can actually have a, a big impact if we think about a decreasing population on overall global GDP and with a decreasing population, uh, that could definitely be a factor. Yeah, and right now there's not I mean, there's definitely more of a populist and nationalist tilt. Now we've got a pandemic, so people are very cautious. I mean, Americans really functionally aren't allowed to travel anywhere right now, and immigration's gone down in a lot of places. Uh, So this kind of seems unique, but there will likely be a lot more, you know, immigration at some point um, once this thing clears, and and you're going to see a lot more in, in, in remittances and repatriation and everything else, so. Well, and they looked at that there will be a larger population of 80 plus year olds rather than under five years old, which is which is also interesting to see, because if we have an older growing pop, older population, then then how do we afford to take care of them? And there, there could be aspects like that, that that could be impactful to the budget. Right. Countries with generous safety nets will have to either reevaluate them or try and, you know, grow their population vis-a-vis migration. So. And with that, um, you got anything for else for us, Grant, that we might have overlooked? Well, I just think the one big thing to be on the lookout for, and it, it's next week, but we have seen that Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google are battling Congress over the hearing next week to go over the antitrust hearings. That will be very big to see what happens w- with tech. Uh, and then uh, since we're on the topic of tech, we've, we have seen tech companies start to really exit Hong Kong after China imposed the new security law there. So really 
interesting to see what companies are going to end up staying and, and how that impacts how uh, we continue to interact with China. What about you, Drew? Yeah, so Goldman Sachs did some you know, research on the political parties and if, if you have a divided government or not. So if your legislative body is a different political party than your executive, uh, and that's typically yielded actually larger stock returns. So it's going to be interesting to see how much of the market is pricing in the results of the election. Um, you know, it's it's been a tall order for Democrats to reclaim the Senate. But if polls move in such a way that people think they might reclaim both, we'll see how that affects the stock market, whether people think, well, there's not going to be as much policy paralysis. There might be some fundamental shifts in, in corporate taxes and everything else. And if that affects the markets or if it shifts the other way, um, you know, whether whether Trump's numbers improve or Biden's go down um, or, or whether some of the Senate seats become less competitive, how does that play out and how people are pricing this this entire election in? Yeah, well, we, we before the pandemic, it's all we were talking about was the election and how it's going to impact and Biden versus Trump. And now it seems like it's on page five of every major newspaper, mm-hmm. um, even though we have seen Joe Biden come out with, with, with policies. Uh, but it, it I think as we get closer and closer, I think a market will be more impacted by the election. But until we uh, it. Until we have a vaccine, that's going to be the main thing driving market moves. Yep. And uh, before we leave, I'll mention that uh, we'll be taking August off. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll finish out July and then we'll launch here in September with uh, season three. Um, so just, you know, I'll, I'll continue to talk about that. But uh, but yeah, this this will be the last couple weeks in a while. Um, with that, I hope everyone's doing well out there. Thanks for listening, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.